Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Howdy again, WCC. i tell you what, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 110. We're actually continuing our sermon series through the book of Hebrews, and we'll get to Hebrews 7 in a second, but let's look at Psalm 110 first. And while you're turning, just a couple of things. Let me encourage you to stay for the business meeting after worship. Um, Like Greg said, we just have one business meeting a year. So both uh, members and guests, you're welcome to stay. Also, Chris, that Lord of Hosts song, awesome, man. That's Shane and Shane? Yeah, that is awesome. All right, Psalm 110, we're going to, just going to look at one verse here, and what I want you to do is just get this verse really in your mind as we go through this passage in Hebrews 7. So Psalm 110, if you look at verse 4, okay, this is a psalm written by David, and it's about the Messiah. So Psalm 110, verse 4, I'm not going to talk a bunch about it because actually the writer to the Hebrews has been explaining this verse for a long time. But I really want, it to, want the verse to be in our minds at the forefront, and then we can think about it as we're going through Hebrews 7. So Psalm 110, verse 4, Psalm of David, a messianic psalm. Everybody recognized that this was a psalm about the Messiah. So Psalm 110, verse 4, says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so here God says through David, that the Messiah would be a priest. Earlier in Psalm 110, it talks about the, the Messiah sitting on the throne. Okay, so he's a king. First three verses are about the Messiah being a king. And then here in verse 4, it also says that the Messiah will be a priest. He'll be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And as I said, the reason I'm starting with Psalm 110 verse 4 is because in Hebrews 7, the writer is really preaching an entire sermon about this verse. Okay, so keep the, or at least a section of the sermon about this verse. So again, keep this verse in the back of your mind, that the Messiah is going to be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. All right, now let's go forward to Hebrews chapter 7. New Testament toward the back, Hebrews 7, and today we're going to look at verses 11 through 19. Hebrews 7, verses 11 through 19. Before we read it, let me give you a little background. Here in Hebrews, this is a reminder, the author is writing to Jewish Christians. So these are Jewish Christians, Jews who have come to faith in Jesus, or at least they're acknowledging Jesus, but they're being pressured to return to the Old Testament sacrificial system. Okay, And he is warning them that if they turn away from Jesus and go back to the Old Testament priesthood and the Old Testament sacrificial system, if they do that, then if they turn away from Christ, then they're turning not only away from Christ, but they're turning away from God. They're turning away from any possibility of salvation. Okay, So that's the audience that he's writing to. All right, let's read through uh, verses 11 to 19, and then we will we'll walk through it verse by verse. So this is Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arrive, to arise after the order of Melchizedek? That's what we've been talking about, Psalm 110.4. Rather than one named after the order of Aaron. 
For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord, talking about Jesus, was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Verse 15, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, here we go, Psalm 110.4, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Okay, so let's walk through the passage. Beginning in verse 11. He says, now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arrive to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? I'm going to talk about the word perfection a little later, as you see in the very beginning, if perfection. But the bottom line is when he says perfection, what he's talking about is salvation, getting right with God, drawing near to God. Okay, that's perfection. Again, I'm going to talk more about it later. But in Hebrews 7.11, if we cut out that middle clause and we read it this way, he basically says this, for if perfection, if salvation had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? By the way, Aaron was a descendant of Levi, so the Old Testament priesthood was called both the Levitical priesthood and the priesthood of Aaron. Okay, same thing. So in verse 11, the writer is saying, again, look at Psalm 110.4. And he says, where God prophesied that the Messiah would be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So the writer is saying, God said the Messiah... The Savior would be a priest from the order of Melchizedek. So God said that the Savior would not be a Levitical priest. So what he's saying is this shows that salvation could not come through the Levitical priesthood. So really when he says if perfection or if salvation had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, when he says if, what he's really saying is it couldn't have happened. Salvation was not possible through the Old Testament priesthood. Again, he's writing to Jewish Christians. They're being called, they're being pressured to turn back to to the Old Testament priesthood and the sacrificial system and all that. And he's saying Psalm 110.4 proves that the Levitical priesthood and the Old Testament sacrificial system could not bring about salvation, couldn't bring about perfection. Because if salvation was possible through the Old Testament priesthood, then God would not have said that the Messiah, the Savior, would be a priest from the order of Melchizedek. Okay, that's his, that's his argument. All right, look at verse 12. He says, For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. Now, in this section of Hebrews, when he talks about the law, he's talking about the Old Testament regulations, the Mosaic regulations, like the priesthood, the sacrificial system, things like dietary restrictions, things like that in the Old Testament. And that's what he means when he's talking about the law. So he says, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law and the regulations. So the writer's saying there's been a change in the priesthood. The priesthood was the Levitical priesthood. But Psalm 110 says the priesthood is now changed with the Messiah, and he would be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And because the priesthood has changed, 
from the Old Testament Levitical priesthood to the Melchizedek priesthood in Jesus, that means there's a change in the law as well. And the reason he's saying that is because priests lead in worship. So if there's a change in the priesthood, that means there's going to be a change in how we worship God. So the regulations for worship have changed. That's what he's saying. So with the Levitical priesthood, there was a set of regulations on how God was to be worshipped. And while the Levitical priesthood was still in place, the worship of God involved things like animal sacrifices and the temple and the Levitical priest. That was in the Old Covenant. But the writer is saying now there's been a change in the priesthood. Now the Lord Jesus is the great high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, just like Psalm 110 said. And as a result, there's been a change in the regulations. There's been a change in how we worship God. So now we don't worship God according to the regulations of the Old Testament priesthood and the sacrificial system. That's what he's saying. And this makes sense because the Old Testament sacrificial system and the temple and the priesthood and everything, all of that was pointing forward to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. So the Old Testament sacrificial system was pointing forward to its fulfillment in Christ. As a result, there's been a change in how we worship God. That's what he's saying there. All right, verses 13 and 14. He says, for the one of whom these things are spoken, he's talking about the Messiah, Jesus, the one of whom these things are spoken, belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord, Jesus, was descended from Judah In connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. We've talked about this before, but the writer is saying, Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, which is the kingly tribe. That's the line of David. So Jesus is from the kingly tribe. He is the king from the line of Judah. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. Um, And kings could not serve as priests, okay? Because priests had to come from the tribe of Levi. So the writer is again saying that Jesus is our great high priest, but he's not from the Old Testament priestly tribe of Levi. He's from this order of Melchizedek, okay? Verses 15 through 17. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, this is Psalm 110.4, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So this is talking about Jesus who arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. That's what he says there. And by the way, this is cool, that word arises, that's the same word used to talk about Jesus rising from the dead. So I like that. It's a little hint of Jesus' resurrection. He arises. So Jesus is like Melchizedek. He arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. And Jesus is like Melchizedek, and we've talked a lot about this, because Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus is both king and priest. Melchizedek is meant to point forward to Jesus. Melchizedek, his name and title show that he's both the king of righteousness and the king of peace. And this is Jesus. Jesus is the true king of righteousness, and he's the true king of peace, shalom. Jesus is the one who brings us peace with God. 
Verse 16, this is talking about Jesus, and it says, Who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, talking about genealogy, but by the power of an indestructible life. Okay, So the writer is saying the Old Testament priests, the Levites, became priests, how? Solely by their genealogy. That was it. By, by who their mom and dad was, by being from the tribe of Levi. That's how they became priests, just from genealogy, bodily descent. That's what he's talking about there. Okay, that was the only requirement. But Jesus is the true high priest that all those Levitical priests were pointing forward to. And Jesus became the great high priest, not on the basis of genealogy or bodily descent, as it says here. So how did Jesus become the true high priest? What made him qualified to be the true high priest? The next phrase tells us says, by the power of an indestructible life. So here's how we should understand this. Jesus is both God and man. And in his humanity, he was killed. He was killed on the cross. But on the third day, he rose from the dead in a glorified body. And now after the resurrection, Jesus still has a body right now. Jesus still has a body right now. He didn't lose his body when he ascended into heaven. He took on humanity and he will have humanity throughout eternity. So Jesus has a body now, but it's a glorified body. It's a resurrected body. So Jesus has this resurrected body that is indestructible. He can't die. And by the way, when Christ returns, all of God's people will also be given glorified bodies like Christ. God will give us indestructible lives like Jesus. That will happen in the life to come. But even now, Jesus has an indestructible life. And what that means is he is the eternal high priest. He's our great high priest, and there is no successor. There's never going to be another high priest after Jesus. He has an indestructible life, and he's the high priest forever. So his priesthood will never end. That's what verse 17 says. Look at it. This is verse 17. Again, this is quoting Psalm 110.4, and it says, For it is witnessed of him... You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Psalm 110. And the word you should underline in this verse is forever. That's how the writer is stressing this. So, he's, so it should be read like this. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. See, in the Old Testament Levitical priesthood, you would have a high priest, and then he would die, and another high priest would come along. And then he would die, and there would be another one. And this went on and on. It was just one high priest after another. And their priesthood would end because they were mortal and they died. Okay? Hundreds of them, one after another. But Jesus becomes the true high priest based on his resurrected life, his indestructible life. And he can never die. And that means from now on, he continues as our high priest forever. He's the final high priest. All right, let's look at verse 18 and the first part of verse 19. It says, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. Okay? One hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. Again, this is talking about the Old Testament legal requirements and regulations. The former commandment or the old regulations are set aside, like the requirement that priests had to be from the tribe of Levi, okay? It's set aside. That former commandment 
is set aside because, as the writer tells us, of his weakness and uselessness. It's weak because, as you saw, those high priests died one after another. It was weak. Also, the former regulation requiring, a, requiring a, a priest to be from the tribe of Levi is useless. Okay? It's useless. Why? Now, he's not saying this. He's not saying that the Old Testament Mosaic law was always useless. Before Jesus came into the world, the Old Testament Levitical priesthood and all the sacrificial system and all that, it served a purpose and it was good. During its time, it was, it was not useless. It served a purpose. But as I said, the point of the Old Testament priesthood and sacrificial system was to point forward to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the final high priest. But here's the thing. When Jesus comes, the Levitical priesthood is now useless because it's been fulfilled. You don't need types and shadows when you have the reality, right? Everything was pointing forward to Christ. That's what the writer is saying in verse 18. He's saying now that Jesus is the great high priest, the Old Testament priesthood is useless. It was meant to point forward to Jesus. And now that Jesus has taken his place as high priest, we don't need the Old Testament priesthood. The Old Testament priesthood with all its regulations is now useless because Jesus is the final high priest. You see, the Old Testament Mosaic law could not actually bring about salvation. That's a key point too. All that Old Testament sacrificial law and and priesthood and temple and animal sacrifices and all that, that could not bring about salvation. That's what he says in, in the first part of verse 19. When he says, for the law made nothing perfect. He's talking about salvation there. And again, I'll talk about that word perfect. Um, Later on in the book of Hebrews, the writer will say, the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. All those, think about this, all those sacrifices in the old covenant, all those millions of animals offered as sacrifices. Think about a mountain of dead animal bodies piled up. That was what you had in the Old Testament, in the old covenant those animal sacrifices. And all that huge mountain of millions of animal sacrifices, of dead animals, that huge mountain of animals, dead animals, could not take away one sin. It couldn't take away one sin. It could not bring about salvation. It could not bring perfection. Because again, the point of those animal sacrifices was to point forward to Jesus. And Jesus is the true Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus, think about this, Jesus with one death on the cross, that single death brings about true forgiveness for all the sins of God's people throughout history, past, present, and future. That mountain of animals couldn't couldn't forgive one sin, and Jesus' death forgives all the sins of his people throughout eternity. So once Jesus came, he's the true high priest He laid down his life as the final sacrifice. And once Jesus laid down his life, true forgiveness came to God's people. And at that point, the Old Testament priesthood and the Old Testament sacrificial system were useless. That's what he's saying. Continuing in verse 19. He says, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So in verse 18, he says, on the one hand, the former commandment, the Old Testament regulations are set aside on the one hand. And now he says, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Okay. 
So the Old Testament regulations are set aside. A better hope is introduced. And what is the better hope? It's Jesus being appointed as our great high priest. That's the better hope. It's Jesus. The better hope is Jesus. Jesus himself and his work as our high priest. And through Jesus, that's how we now draw near to God. That's what he says. We have a better hope. It's a better hope. Because Jesus is our high priest, and through Jesus, we now draw near to God. That's what verse 19 is talking about. So it's only through Jesus that we can have a relationship with the Father. It's only through him. Jesus makes this clear. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me, through Jesus. So through Christ... Through him as our high priest, this is how we're saved. This is how we draw near to God. This is how we have a loving relationship with God through Jesus. Okay, so that's the passage, verses 11 through 19. And now I want to focus in on something we've barely touched on, but it's really beautiful. Look back at verse 11 again. Look back at verse 11, touched on it briefly, but it says this. It says, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood. Perfection. I would underline that word perfection. So he's saying the Levitical priesthood could not achieve perfection. Now look down at verse 19. He says, for the law made nothing perfect. You got perfection and perfect. Again, I would underline perfect. Okay? You got perfection and perfect. And the writer is saying, the Levitical priesthood could not bring about perfection And the Old Testament ceremonial laws could not make anything perfect. Okay, what does that mean? What does perfect mean here? Well, the word perfect or perfection, the the Greek root word is telos. And telos, it doesn't mean like without error or something. Telos means, or perfection in this way, telos means it has a goal or a purpose, an end point. Okay? So, what the writer is saying is that the Levitical priesthood could not achieve the telos. It could not achieve the goal. The Old Testament regulations, the Old Testament sacrificial system and temple worship and dietary laws and all that, these regulations could not achieve the telos. They could not achieve the goal. That's what he's talking about when he says perfection. Okay, So, The Old Testament priesthood, ceremonial laws, Old Testament worship, it could not achieve the end, the purpose, the goal, the telos. And then we ask, okay, what does that mean? What's the goal, right? We keep on asking these questions. Here's what it means. The end or the purpose or the goal is salvation, specifically drawing near to God. The ultimate goal, the ultimate purpose of our lives is salvation. It's drawing near to God to God. It's intimacy with God, being close to God. It's a personal, loving relationship with God. That's the telos of our lives. That's the goal of our lives, drawing near to God. And you can see this because you look at the the end of verse 19. End of verse 19, he says, through which we draw near to God. You can see it again. Look at verse 25. We're not going to cover 25 today, but just look at it right now. Look at verse 25. He says, consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who, what? Draw near to God through him. 
That's what the telos is. That's what perfection is. That's what the goal of our lives is. That's the purpose of our lives, to draw near to God. Intimacy with God. This is the telos, the meaning of life, okay? The meaning of life is to be loved by God, to truly know his love, to love him, to be loved by him, to live for him. This should be the goal because this is the only thing that brings soul satisfaction. And it's what we're made for, drawing near to God. And we don't draw near to God because he can give us good stuff, as George alluded to. We don't go to God because he can give us other things. No, God himself is the goal, right? God himself is the prize, not the stuff he gives us. He's the goal. So back to the Old Testament regulations. The point of all the Old Testament Mosaic laws, again, was to point forward to Christ. And the point of Jesus coming and him being our high priest is to bring us to God, to draw us near to God. That's the telos. That's the goal. That's the end point. God himself drawing near to God. And what he's saying is the old covenant could not achieve the telos, the goal of drawing near to God. In fact, really, think about this. The point of the old covenant was to create barriers between us and God. That was the point of it. And the reason that the old covenant was to create barriers between us and God was to show that God is holy and we are sinful. We can't draw near to God in and of ourselves because of our sin. So the old covenant created all these barriers between the people and God to show that he's holy. So inside the temple, you had the the holy of holies. There's this barrier and only the high priest could go into the holy of holies and he could go in there once a year, right? Outside was another barrier. Because it was the holy place. And only certain priests could go in there. One more barrier. Then you had another barrier. Because outside the temple was this temple court. Okay? And then the barrier between us and God was the priesthood. And the animal sacrifices and ritual cleansings and all these things. It was just barrier after barrier between us and God. And God was making a point there that he is holy. And we just can't waltz into his presence with our sin. He is holy. So there are all these barriers But that all changed with Jesus because when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn and it was torn from top to bottom, showing that God was the one who was tearing the veil. God himself was the one who was tearing down the barrier between us and him. And the the veil was torn in the temple because of what Jesus did immediately after he died. So God himself was the one breaking down that barrier between us and him. God was showing that he was breaking out. He was coming for his people. And Jesus is the one who paves the way to God. Jesus is the one who draws us near to the Father. So Jesus is the better high priest who brings about perfection, the telos, the goal of drawing us near to God. Now here's the thing. The human tendency is to think this that I've got to do something to get right with God. I'm the one who has to do some good work to be right with God. Or I'm the one who has to offer some sacrifice to draw near to God. Every man-made religion in the world has this idea, that if I do something good, if I do some good work, or if I do perform some ceremony, or if I go through some ritual, then I can get right with God. Or if I do something good, then I'll have good karma, right? Or whatever. Every man-made religion says the exact same thing. It's good works. There's also a tendency for us to think that we need someone to serve as a priest for us. 
We may not call them priests, but that's what they are. Even in the secular world, we have priests all over in the secular world. We call them gurus or self-help experts, right? Or personal advisors or whatever. These are the priests of today. They offer tips on reaching your higher self, okay? In the religion of self-help, these are the priests. So we buy their books, we watch their videos, we go to their conferences. These are the priests of today. We love our priests. So there's a tendency to want to have a priest. The most obvious example in, in religion is Roman Catholicism. They have their priests. They have this group of celibate men serving as priests. But here's the thing. Do you know of a single New Testament passage that says that a group of celibate men should be serving as priests? Do you know of a single passage in the New Testament saying that a group of priests is necessary for the common people to draw near to God? I'll ask it another way. How many New Testament passages say that the priests are necessary for the common people to draw near to God? Any idea? Zero. It's none. There is not a single New Testament passage that even hints at the idea of a group of celibate men serving as priests. There's not a single New Testament passage that even hints at the idea that a group of priests is necessary for the common people to draw near to God. You know how Rome gets that idea? They don't give it from the New Covenant. They go back to the Old Covenant. But here's the thing. The Old Covenant could not achieve it. That's the whole point of Hebrews 7. The whole point of Hebrews 7 is that the Old Covenant with its priesthood could not achieve perfection. It couldn't achieve the telos. It couldn't achieve the goal with all its priests of bringing us near to God. What the Bible clearly teaches is that under the New Covenant, we don't need a priest to draw near to God. Because Jesus is the great high priest. He's the only priest we need. Jesus opened the way for us to draw near to God. So now through Christ, we can have personal intimacy with God. We don't need another priest. And here's the sad thing. Jesus has torn down the veil between us and God. And what do all these religions that have priests do? You know what they want to do? They want to build up the barrier again. They want to sew the veil back together so that we don't have intimacy with God. Christ tore down the barrier, and yet we have a tendency to want to keep putting up more and more barriers between us and God. Jesus wants to bring us near to God. And the only way you can be saved, the only way you can draw near to God is through faith in Jesus, our great high priest. Trusting in him. That's the only way. Through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not through priests. It's not through ceremonies, it's not through rituals or going to church or anything else. It's only through Christ. And I want to say this, too. Here at WCC, we have an order of worship. We have some elements of high church liturgy, right? I mean, we do things like corporate readings. We recite the Lord's Prayer, take the Lord's Supper every week. We sing the doxology, all these things. And if you don't like it, you can blame me, all right? If you don't like it, it's all on me. Because I, when we planted this church... I wanted to bring things in that the historic Christian church had been doing for centuries, but the past hundred years or so, the church had abandoned it for more modern things, all right? And I often joke, it's a joke, I don't mean anything bad by it, but I often joke that the modern church is more like a concert and a TED Talk, okay, rather than a worship ceremony. And I don't want that for WCC. I wanted our worship services to be closer to what the church had been doing for centuries, 
And also, I firmly believe that our times of corporate worship here at WCC are true to God's word and that God is honored when we gather. And honestly, I I believe God is pleased with our worship. So when you come to WCC, you don't just sit there. We participate, right? We participate. There's, there's reciting and singing and partaking of the Lord's Supper. And we, we have, sing in the doxology and we have all these participation. And I'm convinced because of that, I'm convinced this is a form of discipleship. It's formative. God uses worship to mold us, to train our minds and our hearts to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. All right, so we're unapologetic about how we worship God. But let me say this, especially to young people, but it really applies to all of us. This is so important. You are not saved by coming to church. You're not saved through ceremonies. You're not saved by taking the Lord's Supper or being baptized or saying the right words in a prayer. You're not saved through any ceremony or ritual. You're not saved by giving. Also, young people, you're not saved by your parents. Your parents may be wonderful Christians, but you don't get saved because you have a wonderful family. And again, the human tendency is to think, if I do certain things, if I'm part of the right family or the right church or whatever, then I'll be saved. That's wrong. None of that will save you. Not coming to church, not saying the right things in a prayer, not being baptized, and it doesn't require a priest. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to draw near to God through Jesus Christ and we don't have priests again because Jesus is our priest and really human priests they can't bring you to God in fact a priest just gets in the way right the only way you can be brought to God the father is through the true high priest the Lord Jesus Christ through faith in Jesus Christ our our faithful and sympathetic high priest so again Jesus has torn down the veil between us and God And this is the only path to eternal life. It's the only path to God, the one that Jesus offers. And he invites us to come to him by faith. So if you haven't given your life to the Lord Jesus, I invite you to do that right now. Ask him to save you. Ask him to give you salvation. Ask him to give you faith. Give up the controls of your life to Christ and submit your entire life to him. That's true faith. And for all of us, again, I want us to remember, because Jesus is our high priest. We have intimacy with God. We draw near to God. That's why it's a better hope because Jesus brings us near to God. And as our faithful high priest, he loves us and he will never leave us. And because of Jesus's work as high priest, he has brought us near to God. But here's the thing. This is reality, right? In this life, there will be times when we don't feel near to God. There will be times when God feels far away. Now, those feelings aren't reality. The reality is our God is always with us. But sometimes it feels that the Lord is far away. And while we're on this earth, we're going to experience heartbreak and suffering and sadness and sin, our own sin and other people's sins, right? And even though the Lord is always with us, the fact is we will walk through trials but our Lord calls us to persevere in faith and keep trusting in him. That's our calling, to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So on one hand, we have this absolute confidence that Jesus is our great high priest. He's done everything necessary for us to draw near to God. That's a fact. 
Our Lord is with us and he loves us. At the same time, while we're in the flesh, we're going to experience suffering. Flat out, this life can be difficult. This life can be sad and exhausting. That's just the fact. But one day, we will fully experience the loving fellowship of God. When this life is over and the resurrection life to come, we will be in the unveiled presence of God. And we will fully share in the loving fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we will know more love and more joy than we ever thought possible. But it's because of what Jesus has done as our high priest to bring us to God. For now we see in a mirror dimly. Now we see through a glass darkly. But then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. And again it will be all because of what Jesus our high priest has done in drawing us near to God. So WCC, I would just ask that let's be people who rejoice in that and wait for it with patience, endurance, and faith. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we love you and praise you. Father, again, we thank you for sending your son Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you, Jesus, that you are not only the sacrifice, You're the high priest who laid down your own life as a sacrifice. You're a faithful high priest. You're our representative. And I pray as your people that we would trust in you more, that we would really give up all rights to our own lives and just say whatever you want for me, Lord. That's what I want. Whatever you want. Help us to understand that we don't know what's best for our life. You do. Help us to show that we have true faith by living in obedience to you. And if we're going through suffering, and we will, you said you're always going to be near us because, Jesus, you have drawn us to the Father. And so, Father, thank you for your love for us and sending your Son out of your love for us, the way you care about us. Holy Spirit, thank you for dwelling within us. We thank you that we have the loving fellowship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's because of what Jesus has done as our high priest in bringing us near to God. So we praise you. We thank you for your love for us. Again, I thank you for folks here. I do pray, Lord, for anybody who has not bowed the knee to Jesus, that they would recognize that you, Jesus, are the Son of God. You're the King. You're a faithful high priest. And one day you're going to return and make everything right. And we look forward to that day. Even now, Lord, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. But again, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your goodness toward us. We pray this in Christ's name.